Good afternoon, everyone. As you heard, my name is David Bates. Uh, how many of you here came to a talk I gave here a couple of weeks ago? Just a couple. Okay, I'm going to be telling mostly the same jokes, so just please laugh along as normal. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, but yeah, as you heard, I'm from San Diego. Uh, but as you can probably hear from the way that I speak, uh, I'm not originally from America. I grew up in England, uh, which means that everything I say sounds amazing. And basically, my life is based on Harry Potter, okay? It's, it's a, a rough retelling of my life. But if at any point you can't understand what I'm saying, please just wave at me and I'll have a go at translating it. Because not only do I sound a little bit different, a lot of the words that English people use are different. So for example, if I talked about putting on my trainers, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're a very educated crowd, well done. Uh, if I talk about the boot and the bonnet of a car, what am I talking about? The hood and the trunk, yeah. Uh, if I talk about eating candy floss, does anyone know what that is? Candy floss? No, no. Candy floss? Yes. It's the floss. Tacos. It's cotton candy. <laughs> Not quite. Tacos are great, but no. Candy floss is cotton candy. Uh, I'll give you one more, one more. If, uh, if I say somebody has thrown a wobbly, what have they done? No, no, I like where your head's at, but no. Thrown a wobbly. Oh, a bit, a tantrum. Yes, very good. I'm giving you a signed copy of this book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If I say somebody has thrown a wobbly, if somebody has thrown a wobbly, then it means that they've lost their temper. So next time somebody loses their temper with you, you can tell them that they're throwing a wobbly. I don't think it'll improve the situation at all, but at least I'll have learned a new phrase. Now, I was invited here tonight to speak to you about confession, but I'm going to speak a little bit more broadly as well. The title of this talk is God's Mercy, Freely Received and Freely Given. And the way it's going to work is this. I'm going to speak for about another 15 minutes, and then you're going to watch a video and have a little break, and then I'm going to come back and speak for another 15 or 20 minutes, a little bit more broadly about how we need to share mercy with other people. And at the end, we'll have time for Q&A if you have any questions. But if you have any questions as I'm going through, feel free just to raise your hand and ask. Okay? But uh, let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, you are ever merciful. There is no sin that we can ever commit that you cannot forgive. No matter what we've done, you always welcome us back. Please help us to trust in your mercy and help us to pass that mercy on to those whom we meet. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's kick things off with a question. What is the purpose of confession? And I'm looking for answers. What is the purpose of confession? Yes, sir. To reconcile with God and yourself. That's a great answer. Yeah. When I sin, when I, when I become estranged from God, when I've done what I know I shouldn't do, 
Confession is the means that God set up to help me to return to him, to put things right, to get our relationship back to how it should be. Does anyone know how sins were forgiven in the Old Testament? So in the Bible, you've got the New Testament, you've got the Old Testament. The New Testament is about Jesus and the early church. And then you've got the Old Testament, which is about the prophets and the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. Does anyone know during the Old Testament how were sins forgiven? I'm going to give someone else a chance before you... Anyone, anyone from this side? How were sins forgiven in the Old Testament? Do you know where you'd go? All right, sir. You'd sacrifice like a lamb or something? Yeah. So the way it would work in the Old Testament is that if you sinned, you would go to the temple. You would go to where the priests were. And what you would do is you would go and confess your sin, and then you would take an animal, something that was worth a lot of money to you, and you would offer it in sacrifice, and the priest would make atonement for you. We read about it in the book of Leviticus. So in the Bible begins, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So it's the third book. It says, When anyone becomes aware they are guilty, they must confess in what they have sinned. As a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for them for their sin. So in the Old Testament, if you wanted your sins forgiven, you went to a priest. A sacrifice would be offered, and it would be costly, and it would be very messy. One of my friends said, I couldn't have lived in Old Testament times. I got a confession so often. If I'd gone in the Old Testament times, I would have killed so many little lambs. But that's how sin was dealt with back then. But in the New Testament, things changed. And they changed because God loves humanity so much that he became man. We're talking about the incarnation here. Jesus became man and offered himself on the cross. This is the perfect, sinless son of God. Something worth infinitely more, infinitely more than just a few sheep or goats. And all of that stuff in the Old Testament was meant to prepare people to recognize Jesus when he came. Remember what John the Baptist called him? He said, behold the Lamb of God. Because at the time that John the Baptist said that, people knew what it would mean. The Lamb which was sacrificed for the people. But after the crucifixion, Jesus rose from the grave and he appeared to his apostles and he told them to go out into all of the world and to tell everyone that death had now been destroyed by the cross. But before he did this, he gave them a gift, something that they were going to need for the journey ahead and for the ministry to which he was calling them. We read about it at the very end of John's Gospel. So after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples. Sorry, we have a question. Oh, it's about where we Yep, that's exactly where I'm going. In John 20, Jesus appears to his apostles and he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? He came to forgive sins. And he's now sending out his apostles to go and do the same. And it says, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, I have a podcast called Pints with Jack. It's where I talk with one of my friends about C.S. Lewis. That's this guy here. 
Does anyone, has anyone read the Chronicles of Narnia or seen the movies? Yeah, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, The Dawn Treader. Netflix just picked it up, so they should be doing all of them. Well, he also wrote many other works. And my co-host and I, we were talking in one episode where Lewis spoke about forgiveness. And since we're both Catholic, we naturally spoke about confession and our experience of confession. But not all of our listeners are Catholic. Many of them are Protestant. And one of our listeners, a lady by the name of Charity, she reached out, she sent us an email, and she asked us some questions because she didn't quite understand. And she asked questions that you might have heard your Protestant friends ask as well. She said, surely only God can forgive sins. Why should I confess my sins to a man? Why not confess them to God directly? And so we struck up an email correspondence where I attempted to explain to her Catholic theology and explain why we go to confession. And I began by taking her to that passage that I just quoted from John 20, where Jesus breathes on his apostles, gives them the Holy Spirit, and says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive their sins, they are not forgiven. I asked her, what is Jesus doing here? He's giving them authority to forgive sins. And this was the very thing that she thought was unthinkable. The idea that God would give men the authority and the power to be able to forgive sins. And she kept wanting the passage to mean something else. But I kept bringing her back to the words of Christ when he said, Whoever's sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And she had to admit that, yes, Jesus gave authority to his apostles to forgive sins. I said, great. Now this begs a very important question. How would they forgive sins if they didn't know the sins that people had committed? Hopefully you can see now why Catholics go to confession. Because we believe that God, Jesus Christ, he gave authority to his apostles to forgive sins and would therefore expect the people to confess their sins to them. And I explained that this was the habit of the New Testament church. I cited the epistle of James, which is one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. It's very, very practical. And it's also the shortest, so it's the first one I ever read in its entirety. But James tells his readers, he says, if any of you are sick, let the elders gather. And the Greek word he uses is presbyteros. It's where we get the English word presbyter or priest. So he says, if anyone's sick, let the priests gather and anoint him with oil and lay hands on him. What's that describing? What sacrament in the church does priest, a priest come, anoint someone with oil, and pray for them when they're sick? Nothing out? Yeah, anointing of the sick. And then right after that, James says, and confess your sins to one another. So it's very clear that the New Testament church had no problem whatsoever with confessing their sins to another human being. So my friend Charity could admit that Jesus gave authority to his apostles. And she could see that the New Testament church operated in this way. But she had one last objection. She said, sure, Jesus granted his apostles authority Yeah, the New Testament church worked like that, but that was only for that generation. Do you think that makes any sense? Why would Jesus 
give this great gift to his church, only to take it away after one generation, as soon as the last apostle died. If it was important in preaching the good news in the first century of Christianity, why would it be any less important today? I mean, have people stopped sinning? Doesn't it make sense that this great gift would have been passed on to the successors of the apostles? Does anyone know who the successors of the apostles are? Priests, and more specifically, who's above a priest? Yes. The Pope, and what is the Pope? He's something in particular. Yes. The Cardinals, somewhere in between. Yes. There we go. (laughs) The bishops, in particular. The bishop. In the bishop, you have the fullness of the priesthood, and they're seen as the successors to the apostles. So the idea is, this is called apostolic succession, that Jesus gives authority to the the apostles, and they give authority to their successors, to the bishops, and down through history, like a very long game of holy tag. And we actually have a document from about 215 AD, so just a couple of generations after the New Testament, and it outlines the prayers that are prayed over a new bishop when a new bishop is consecrated. And it explicitly talks about his authority to forgive sins that comes through the Holy Spirit and because of this great gift of Christ. And so the form of the sacrament of confession has changed a little bit through the years. Uh, In the very early church, you confessed to your parish in public. So if you're a little nervous sometimes about going to confession today, think about what it would have been like then. You know, we'd have finished Mass, and then you'd walk up the front and tell everyone what you did. (laughs) But this idea of confessing your sins to a Catholic priest has gone back for 2,000 years. And although the form has varied, what does it look like today? Now, I hope you all get to confession reasonably regularly, but I'm not going to assume that you do. So let's just walk through what happens. Typically, you go to a church, typically on Saturday afternoons, uh, and sometimes you can do it by appointment. If you haven't managed to get to confession, you really need to get to confession, you can just call up the office and book an appointment with the priest. But honestly, some of my friends, they've just grabbed priests at airports or when they're at the mall, and it's like, Father, I haven't been to confession in years, can I, can I please come to you now? And so they receive absolution by the gate or uh, in the food court. Does anyone know the name of the traditional place where you go to say your confession? The confessional. The confessional, exactly. And sometimes there'll be a screen, and sometimes you do it face-to-face. Personally, I always go face-to-face, because what's the point in me using a screen? The very first time that I came to America, I rushed after work to get to confession. I went into the confessional. There was a screen up, and I was just about to make the sign of the cross, and I started laughing. Because I knew that as soon as I said a single word, my voice would betray me. And from the other side of the grill, I would hear, oh, hi, David. Having an accent is amazing, but that is one of the downsides. Now, if you haven't been to confession in quite a while, don't be nervous. You can just tell the priest, and he'll guide you through it. When I go to confession, I typically say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been however many weeks or months since my last confession. I like the priest to know what he's dealing with. You know, if, I'm, if I have to tell him that the last time I went to confession, 
President Obama was in office, then he knows that we're going to be here a little while. But I can guarantee you, if you haven't been to confession in a while, the priest won't berate you. He's just going to be happy that you came. And then we come to the important part of confession where we confess our sins. We confess our big sins, what we call mortal sins, the things that really damage our relationship with God, as well as our smaller, lighter, what we call venial sins. And so you'll confess these to the priest. And if he has more questions, he might ask you, But since this is the bit that scares everyone, I just want to make a few points really, really clear. Number one, you are not going to tell this priest anything that he hasn't heard many times before. Don't think your sins are that special. Not only that, the priest will hear so many confessions during a week, I can guarantee you within an hour or two of hearing your confession, he'll have completely forgotten about it. And number three, most importantly, he is not allowed to tell anyone, anyone, what you said. Your parents, the police, the Pope, he can't tell anyone. The quickest way to get kicked out of the priesthood is to say what someone said in confession. It's called the seal of the confessional. And finally, I have a lot of priest friends, and they regularly tell me what an honor and a privilege it is to hear people's confessions, particularly young people's confessions, because they know that it takes a lot of bravery, a lot of pluck, to go to a priest and confess what you've done. So after you've confessed, the priest will typically give you some advice, some counsel. He'll draw upon the wisdom of the saints, of scripture, and the church. And I really encourage you to listen to what he has to say. Because this is one of the things that he's trained for, to help you overcome patterns of sin, to overcome temptation, and to find healing. So, listen to what he says. Because ideally, when you come back in a few weeks or a month, you don't want to just just to repeat the same things. We're trying to aim for holiness here. And the priest will then give you a penance. And I really don't want you to think of a penance as a punishment. I've got a few sporty types here. Have any of you had physical therapy for a sports injury? Yeah, yeah, a couple. Now, between your physiotherapy sessions, the therapist will often give you exercises to do. These are not punishments. Why do they give you these exercises to do? It's because they want you to heal. They want you to heal quicker. And if you're a sportsman, you'll quite often give up really sugary foods. It's like a gift. It's exactly like a gift. I, I like to think of it as athletic training. If you're training for a sport, you'll often give up you know, bad foods that you shouldn't be eating. You might get up a little earlier. You might do extra push-ups. You might take, well, you'll call them vitamins. I call them vitamins. I think my way sounds better. (laughs) But all of this, they're not punishments. It's because you're trying to grow strong. And this is the point of penance. Penance is there to help heal you. It's It's there to help you get strong spiritually. And sometimes the penances will be pretty light. And our Father, a Hail Mary. And other times, they might be a little heavier. You might be asked to say a rosary or do Stations of the Cross. And sometimes, maybe even a little bit more than that. And sometimes, priests will get very creative. Uh, I have a friend who went to confession, 
and admitted that he was being very short-tempered with his housemate. And the priest said that for his penance, he wanted him to cook his housemate dinner twice that week. Do you see the point of what he was trying to do there? The sin that was being confessed was, I've been, I mean, sorry, my friend has been very short-tempered with his housemate. <laughs> friend had been very short-tempered with his housemate. So the priest was sending him back into that situation and encouraging him to love his housemate so that he'd be more charitable to his housemate so that when he comes home and finds a dish full of dishes, he'll be cool about it. So after the priest has told you what your penance is going to be, he'll ask you to make an act of contrition. And there's lots of different versions of this, and you'll typically find them laminated in the confessional. Here's, here's one that you'll often hear. My God, I am sorry for my sins with all my heart. In choosing to do wrong and failing to do good, I have sinned against you whom I should love above all things. I firmly intend, with your help, to do penance, to sin no more, and to avoid whatever leads me to sin. Our Savior Jesus Christ suffered and died for us. In his name, my God, have mercy. See what it's saying? It's saying, it's asking God for mercy, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus did. And you're promising that you're going to really try and not fall into the same sins again. Now, if that prayer isn't in the confessional and you don't know one off by heart, and the priest asks you to make an act of contrition, just make it up. Just ask God out loud for forgiveness and grace to live a holy life. And then finally, he'll give you absolution. And he'll make the sign of the cross over you, and he'll say these beautiful words. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gift of Christ. I mean, that's, that's quite incredible. You are saved. Your sins are washed clean through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And through that authority that Jesus gave to his apostles that we read about in John 20, when he breathed on them and told them that they were going to be able to forgive sins. And this has been passed down every generation of the church through apostolic succession. And when you're forgiven, Jesus is borrowing that priest's hands. He's borrowing his voice to pronounce forgiveness over you. And it doesn't matter if that priest is a sinful man. Through him, Jesus is going to forgive your sins and he's going to give you grace. I think we'll probably stop there and you guys can watch the video and we'll pick this up again afterwards. I have things in my life that I need to get off my chest. God already knows what I did. It's not like he'd be shocked. I can't remember the last time I've done this. I don't even remember what to say. What if the priest remembers me? What if someone I know sees me? They'll know I did something wrong. This seat is really uncomfortable. Is this whole forgiveness thing real? Can I just tell God on my own? If I'm in there too long, people might think I did something really bad or that I have a lot of sins. 
on and just go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Father, I have to be honest. I have no idea how any of this works. I haven't been to confession since I was 10. I'm a little nervous. Well, first of all, I'm glad that you're here. You've made a good decision. That you've come to ask our Lord for forgiveness. That shows a lot of courage. Thank you. Now, before we begin, let me ask you a question. Do you really want to be here? Is this something that you're doing for you? Or did someone force you to come today? I made the decision to come. I know that I need to be here. There are things from my past that, that I need forgiveness from. Good. Now there's one thing to remember about the sacrament of confession, that it's Christ himself who's gonna forgive your sins. So I'm just the instrument that he uses. I can't forgive sins on my own, but rather Christ uses me as the instrument to forgive your sins. So as we move forward, remember that. You're speaking directly to Christ. Okay. So let's begin again in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now you can begin. Uh, what's heavy on your heart? What would you like to bring to our Lord? Well, I feel like a lot of times I'm, I'm too Anything else you'd like to bring to our Lord's mercy? No, uh, just that. Okay. Well, again, it's a great thing that you're here. Uh, for your penance, I would just like you to say one Our Father and one Hail Mary, just as an act of thanks to God for his mercy. Do you think you could do that? Yeah. Okay. And if you could please just make an act of contrition, there should be a sheet for you to read off of. You just read that out loud, and then afterwards, we'll finish with absolution. My God, I am sorry for having offended you. In choosing to do wrong and failing to do good, I have sinned against you whom I should love above all things. I firmly intend with your help to do penance, to sin no more and to avoid whatever leads me to sin. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered and died for us. In his name, my God, have mercy. Amen. Amen. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us, for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. And I absolve you from your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Again, it's a great thing that you came today. And I hope you never forget that your sin, no matter how great or how small, uh, God's mercy is greater. We just have to come and ask Him for it. Thank you, Father. I'll remember that. Okay. God bless you. See you next time. God, thank you for leading me here to confession. Although I don't totally understand it, I know that it is you who forgives. Thank you for your mercy and love. Help me not sin and turn away from you. <laughs> 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Holy Spirit, you come to convict us of our sin, and you come with the promise of forgiveness. Please fill this room, and fill our hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so we've spoken about the biblical basis for confession, and we walked through what actually happens in confession. And so what I'd now like to do is give you a few tips, because I've been going to confession longer than you guys, I would imagine. Now, every confession is amazing. When you think about it, God uses the priest's hands, his voice, to pronounce forgiveness over you. That's something incredible. But I think there are also some things that we can do that can help prepare us and help us get the most out of this experience. So I'm going to give you seven tips. Seven tips. So the first one is to do an examination of conscience. An examination of conscience is when you take some time out before you go to confession. I like to do it during adoration or just to sit quietly in the church. And you spend some time recalling the sins that you've committed since the last time you went to confession. And sometimes this can be a little bit difficult, uh, but fortunately that there are lots of guides that can help guide you through this process. You'll usually find them at the back of church. If you've got an iPhone or an Android, you can download an app that will guide you through it. And typically they'll take the Ten Commandments as, as an outline and help you think about the different areas of your life where you might have sinned. But my main suggestion in giving this tip is to give yourself some time. Give give yourself time to pray through one of these guides, to prayerfully consider where you've fallen short since you last went to confession, and to spend some time thinking about that. You don't want to think about it for like a minute or two as you're walking into the confessional. And not only will you then give a more thorough confession, It's also really helpful to see the kinds of areas where you tend to fail. You might start noticing a consistent pattern between the things that you're about to confess. You might be lacking in charity. You might be lacking in love for people. You might be lacking in patience. And so you can see more clearly what you have to work on. Because we are all called to become saints. I went to Mass with you guys before, and you've got some lovely stained glass but don't think that those are the only saints that there are ever going to be. In this room right now, you are all called to be saints. It's the only great tragedy in the world not to become a saint. Because saints are people who are in heaven. And that's where God wants us all to be. So, tip number one was do an examination of conscience. Tip number two is make a list. When I'm doing an examination of conscience, I like to write down on a little piece of paper and sometimes in my phone, the things that I'm going to confess. Because I found that when I do this, when I go into the confessional with 
a little crib sheet ready. Everything just goes far smoother. I don't have to remember everything. And I'm really not suggesting that you write out an essay with all the nitty-gritty of every terrible thing that you've done. Just enough to help remind you what you need to say when you go and speak to the priest. Although, actually, one of my friends, she, she actually did write out her full confession. And the reason was that she had completely lost her voice. She lost her voice for several weeks, and she needed to go to confession. So she wrote out her confession and then gave it to the priest. And the priest, after he had read it, he then took her to the part of the church where the candles were, and he pronounced the words of absolution over her, and then took the piece of paper and burnt it in front of her just to show her very vividly of what's now happened to those sins. They're gone. They've gone up in smoke. So, tip number one, what was it? Examination of conscience. Tip number two, make a list. Tip number three, don't hold anything back. If you're anything like me, when you go into confession, there's this strong tendency to try and explain away the things that I'm confessing. Yes, I got angry with my housemates, but Father, you really need to understand just quite how annoying he was being. And sometimes I'll want to water things down a little bit, make confession a little bit lighter, not share everything that I've done. I'd really encourage you, don't do either of these two things. Tell the priest everything, because there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. I just want to say that once more because I, I so often meet lapsed Catholics who leave the church because they think they've committed a sin that is too great for God's mercy. Doesn't exist. Absolutely doesn't exist. Whatever you have done, you can go to confession and be forgiven. Now, when I go to confession, my priest, he prays this prayer at the beginning. He says, Behold my spiritual child, Christ stands here invisibly and receives your confession. Therefore, be not afraid or ashamed and conceal nothing from me, but tell me without hesitation all that you have done so that you shall receive pardon from our Lord. Take heed, therefore, lest having come to the divine physician, you depart unhealed. If you go to the doctor, does it make sense if you don't tell him everything that's wrong? No. How can you possibly be healed if you don't tell him everything? It's the same thing in confession. Don't hold back. That's how you get a clear conscience. So tip number one. What was it? Someone from this side. Examination of conscience. Tip number two. Number three. Uh, Don't hold anything back. Tip number four. This one's short and really easy. Go regularly. I go to confession at the start of every month, and I've got a reminder on my phone and on my calendar to remind me to go. Now, some people say, well, I haven't really sinned that badly. I can can leave it a few more weeks. (laughs) That's not the the goal. It's not waiting until you've got enough stuff. Go regularly. Because if you don't do that, it's so easy to become desensitized to sin. Now, you're all teenagers, which means that all of your rooms are completely immaculate, right? Very clean. Your parents never complain about it at all. But 
But there are some teenagers, you know, back in San Diego, where I'm from, you know, some teenagers there, they have messy rooms. And if you've got a really messy room, what does it matter if you throw another piece of clothing on the ground? What does it matter if you bring a mug or a plate into your room and add it to the next pile? You don't really notice it. And you don't really notice it because there's already so much stuff. This is what happens to us when we stay away from confession. We grow desensitized to sin. Whereas, say, if I have a, an immaculately clean room and somebody throws some, uh, some, some junk there, I'm going to notice it right away. And it's the same thing. When I, when I walk out of confession, I am really aware of, of, of the bad things in my life when I come across them. I realize that they're not good for me. And it's good for us to remain sensitive to that. So, tip number one was what? Examination of conscience. Tip number two. Make a list. Don't hold anything back. Go regularly. In addition to going regularly, I'd recommend getting a regular confessor. Have a priest who you regularly go to. Now, I know a lot of people like the anonymity of confession, and if that's really you, keep doing that. All I'll say is this. The priest that I go to every month is wonderful. And because he knows me, and because I confess to him regularly, he can help me so much more. He's actually basically my spiritual director. He's the guy that I go to because he knows me well. That's tip number one. Examination of conscience. Tip number two. Make a list. Number three. Don't hold anything back. Number four. Go regularly. Tip number five. There you go. Have a regular confessor. Excellent. Tip number six. Number six is don't give up. I can promise you, I can absolutely promise you that if you go to confession regularly, you will have seasons in your life where you feel you're just confessing the same things again and again. You confess the sin, you walk out of the church, and within a month you're committing the same sins again. You come back, you confess, rinse and repeat. Don't give up. I can promise you that if you give up confession, you're not going to get any better. <laughs> you're just not going to notice your sin anymore. That's beautiful. <laughs> but I do want to promise you that things can get better. There's something that we, you can sometimes do at a retreat. It's called a life confession. Yes, sir. generally recommend people go once a month. I think that's, that's pretty good. I think that's a, that's a good kind of cadence to go. I know I need it once a month. But, the ch- but it, it, it's, it's not like the church says, well, you need confession three times this year. I'm sorry. We'll see you in 2020. <laughs> but good question. For that, you get a book. But I do want to promise you that when you get into these cycles where you feel like you're not making any progress, that will change. I went to a retreat, and I was encouraged to do a life confession. And a life confession is where you take your, the entirety of your life, and you spend usually quite a while, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes with the priest, and you talk through the different stages of your life. 
and you talk about the sins that you struggled with. And when I went on this retreat, and when I did this, I was really surprised. I looked at the sins that I knew I really struggled with in my teenage years, and I didn't struggle with them anymore. Some of the sins I struggled with when I, in my early 20s. And this is what can happen. So don't ever give up. If you feel yourself falling into the same sorts of sins, go and speak to your priest and ask for his advice. Maybe get a good, trusted friend and say, hey, listen, I'm struggling with this. Can you encourage me? Can you hold me accountable? Remember what I said, we're called to be saints. Don't aim for a C-plus kind of Catholicism. You are called to be holy. Those of you who came to my talk a couple of weeks ago, I made the point, the Holy Spirit wants to turn you into Jesus. When people see you, they should meet Jesus. So, I can't remember which side we started with. I'm going to say this side. Tip number one. Examination of conscience. Tip number two. Make a list. Number three. Don't hold anything back. Number four. Go regularly. Number five. Regular confession. Number six. Don't give up. And now we finally come to tip number seven. And I think this is probably the best, and I'm pretty sure it's the one that you're going to remember the most. Back in England, I had a priest who never tired of talking about how wonderful confession was. He said, think about it. You walk out of that confessional, Jesus has forgiven all of your sins. If that doesn't deserve a celebration, I don't know what does. So he encouraged you. Afterwards, after you leave here, I want you to go buy some chocolate. Go do something that you really like. And I encourage you, if you're going to go to confession, bring a friend. After you're done, you can go and watch a movie or do something fun. And actually, when you leave here today, your parents are probably going to ask you what you learned. And I'd really like you to tell them what I'm about to say. I would like them, sometime in the next couple of weeks, for them to take you to confession. I'd like you to go as a family, and I'd like them to take you out for ice cream or tacos or whatever the thing is that you love. I would like you to go out and celebrate it afterwards. And you can tell them that I said so. And I have an accent, so that has a lot of authority. <laughs> Let's do that one more time. Tip number one. <laughs> Examination of conscience. Tip number two. Make a list. Make a list. Number three. Don't, l- l- loudly together, please. Hold anything back. Tip number four. Go regularly. Tip number five. That was a bit regular confessor. Tip number, what was that, five? Tip number six. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. And tip number seven. Treat yourself. Exactly. Celebrate. Oh, yeah. yeah. Heck yes. Very heck yes. I've got about ten minutes left now. And I like to shift gears just a little bit. So far in this talk, I have really focused on confession, receiving God's gift of forgiveness. But as I said at the beginning, the title of this talk is God's Mercy, Freely Received and Freely Given. So in the time I've got left, I want to speak about that last part. Think for a moment. What do you think is the most unpopular teaching in Christianity? Just think about it. Now, my guy here, C.S. Lewis, he said that at one point he thought 
that the most unpopular teachings of Christianity all related to chastity and to sex. But he said later in his life, he didn't think that anymore. He thought that the most unpopular teaching of Christianity is forgiveness. Does that seem a little strange? Mm -hmm. Doesn't everybody think that forgiveness is a great thing? Lewis said, yeah, yeah, it really is. Everyone thinks that forgiveness is a lovely idea up until they actually have to forgive something. If we're the ones being forgiven, we think forgiveness is great. But if we're the ones who now have to forgive somebody, then we're not quite so keen. But we can't get away from it. At the very heart of Christianity is this call to forgiveness. Jesus modeled this. As he's being nailed to the cross and killed in extreme agony, he cries out, Father, forgive them. And in his teaching, he said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. That bit sounds great. But then the next thing he said is, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We can freely receive God's forgiveness but he then commands us to pass it on. Freely received, freely given. And G.K. Chesterton, a really great British writer, he said the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. And he said that's usually because they're the same people. The people that we see every day, the people that we share a house with, the people that we live next door to. Now Jesus' words here... They're kind of intimidating, but it's also, in many ways, an amazing deal. Do you want to be forgiven? Forgive. Do you want the worst things that you've ever done just wiped away? Then all you have to do is forgive. But we find it so difficult when someone has wronged me. But think about this. If I was to make this offer to you, forgive everybody, everything they have ever done, for, done against you. Forgive everything that anyone will ever do to you. Do that, and I'm going to give you $100 million. I think most of you would take this. This sounds like a pretty good deal. And the thing is, Jesus is giving you a far better deal, eternal life. And we're reminded about this in every single Mass. The Mass we just had, we prayed the Our Father. Please finish the sentence. Forgive us our trespasses. So it's the Catholic mumble. Yes, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. When we say those words, do we mean it? What was that? No? Okay. And think about it. We also do the same thing at the sign of peace. Before we go up and receive the Lord in Holy Communion, we turn to our neighbors, those around us, and we say, peace be with you. We shake the hand, we give them a hug. And we use the very words that Jesus used in that upper room when he appeared to his disciples. Peace be with you. We receive forgiveness from God. We receive his peace. And we're called to pass it on. And Jesus really, really drills this home when he tells this parable of an unforgiving servant. He says that there's a king who comes to settle accounts. And he comes across one of his servants who owes him an absorbent sum of money. $100 million, let's say. And he calls him to account. He said, I'd like my money now, please. And the servant can't give it to him. And so he says, right, I'm going to sell you and I'm going to sell your family to help pay your debt. 
But the servant begs him. He says, give me more time, please. And the king is a good king. And he not only forgives him, he forgives the debt. But then that servant then leaves. He goes out and he meets another fellow servant who owes him a very small amount, 50 bucks. He grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe. And the servant makes the same kind of plea. He says, please give me more time. But the servant doesn't show him mercy. Instead, has him thrown in jail. Now, the fellow, the fellow servants, they go and tell the king, distressed by what they've seen. And the king calls this servant to him. And he says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you besought me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And he had him handed over to the jailer. And Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If God is willing to forgive all the things that you do wrong, don't you deserve to pay? Doesn't it seem right that you'd want to pay it forward? Now, I want to say just a few closing things about forgiveness. Firstly, forgiveness is not easy. Sometimes it's really, really hard. I was only a couple of years older than you guys when my dad had an affair. And he had an affair with someone from my church, someone who had actually taught me in Sunday school. I felt betrayed. I felt incredibly angry. But I knew Jesus' teaching. I knew that I was called to forgive. And so I struggled with that for a very, very long time. And I had a real turning point when I went on retreat in this little town called Teze in France. The first few days were gorgeous. Beautiful sunshine. I went into the church. Prayer was wonderful. I felt God really close. You know what that's like? When you feel a real intimacy with God. But after a couple of days, it was like somebody just slammed the door. I just didn't feel God's presence anymore. And so I was praying about it. Why is this happening? And for the first time, I really saw clearly how my relationship, my damaged relationship with my earthly father, affected my relationship with my heavenly father. I still didn't want to forgive my dad, but I wanted to want to forgive him. And so that's where I started. I started praying to God, Lord, give me the grace just to ask, to ask to forgive him. And so I want to let you know that when somebody hurts you deeply, that is a really good place to start, even while you're still angry. Because to forgive someone doesn't mean to say that what they did wasn't wrong. It doesn't mean to say that what they did didn't hurt you. But what Jesus asks us to do is to will that other person's good. Uh, yes? This is one of the beautiful things in Catholic theology. The forgiveness you receive in confession is not contingent upon the holiness of the priest or how you truly feel afterwards. If you confess, you truly confess, and the priest makes the sign of the cross, 
says, by the authority of Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the church, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. There is no question of that. And there's always the temptation to think that your sin is too great for God. There's always that temptation. But that's nonsense. No sin is too great for God. He pronounces forgiveness. You are forgiven. And if you're struggling with that, I would just encourage you to thank God for forgiving you. And to help your feelings catch up with reality. Because the reality is, your sin is whether you feel it or not. confession and I told the priest I want to forgive him but and I often think that I have forgiven him but I then keep having these feelings of anger come back and he said it's like whack-a-mole when it comes back whack it on the head and he said what I want you to do is that after we're done I want you to go out to that chapel and I would like you just to write one two-line prayer and whenever you think of this person I want you to pray that prayer and my prayer was something really simple it was Lord, I please want you to bless whatever his name was, name redacted. I want you to bless him. I want you to give him everything that he needs. I want you to make him holy. I want you to bring him to heaven. But ultimately, I just want him to be happy and to be in a relationship with you. And that was the prayer that I prayed every single time I thought of him. And this is going to feed a little bit back into your question. I didn't have warm, fuzzy feelings about this person for a long time. But it's very, very difficult to be praying for somebody else's blessing. It's very difficult to ask God to bless this person and for you to still have feelings of anger. And what Jesus wants from us is not our feelings. Our feelings change. Our, my feelings change as to what I have for lunch. What he wants is my will, my, my decision to try and forgive this person. Yeah? Go for it. There are some distinctions that we have to make. Because Peter, the first pope, he came to Jesus with a very similar question. He said, Master, how many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times? He thought he was being generous. And Jesus said, no, 77 times seven. Many, many more. Infinitely. However, I will offer one important note. If somebody is in your life who has damaged your life, hurting you, hurting other people, that doesn't mean you have to fully embrace that. That doesn't mean that you don't call the cops. That doesn't mean you don't tell your parents. That doesn't mean you don't tell your teachers. But what Jesus wants from you is to will that person good. To not ferment on that, the hatred. Not to stew on it. But to want that person's good. And sometimes that means that they then have to deal with the consequences of what they've done. <coughs> Say that again. <coughs> don't hold a grudge. And there are a couple of reasons why, <laughs> why you shouldn't hold a grudge. And part of it is just out of pure self-interest. It's going to get a little selfish. Because when I withhold forgiveness from somebody, who am I punishing? I'm punishing myself. It's like 
drink, me drinking some poison and expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness, it, it enslaves the human spirit. It's, it's, a, it's a thief from the past that keeps stealing your future. And I can honestly tell you, I have lost months of my life, months of my life being angry over something that I can no longer change. Forgiveness is about setting somebody free. And what we typically find is, once we've done that, the person that has really been set free is me. You get a book for that. Absolutely good. So my time's now just about up, but I really would like you to think about what we've spoken about here today. I would like you to get your parents to take you to confession sometime in the next couple of weeks and to take you out for whatever food you would like afterwards. And again, remember, you can tell them that I said so. I have an accent. I have a podcast, a blog. This is as official as it gets. Yes, sir. Uh, come talk to me about that afterwards, or we'll, you can do that in a little bit in Q&A. But I, I also want you to remember Christ's very serious words about forgiveness. And all of this was summed up at Mass today. All of this was summed up at Mass today. Remember the gospel? Sir, what's the gospel today? Oh. Anyone? Yes, sir. It was the parable of the prodigal son. And there are, there are two important lessons I want you to remember from that story. The son had done everything he could to hurt his father, but as soon as he turned towards home, his father came running out to meet him. The same is true for God. There is nothing that you have ever done that doesn't mean you can't come home. And the second thing I want you to remember is when you're home, when you're that older brother, be charitable to those who are still on that journey. Pass on that forgiveness that you yourself have received. Because God's mercy is always freely received, but it should also be freely given. Let's just end in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, please convert our hearts. You want us to be saints. You want us to live lives of courageous virtue, to be light in the darkness, to be salt, to bring taste and joy to the world. Lord, you only show us our sin so that we can turn from it forever and receive joy. Please do this in my life. Please do this in the lives of all the kids here tonight. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, Q&A. Can we just ask them? Okay, go for it. Oh, they can be about me. I'm, 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 I'm suitably humble that I can talk about myself without any danger of pride. Uh, well, can we hear your American accent? Oh, no. Americans always ask this. It's, it's not good. You, you really don't want to hear it. Maybe, maybe at the end. We'll, we'll, we'll see how I'm feeling. Uh, okay, so there was this question. If I sin and pray to Jesus in my, in my house and tell him my sins, will I still be forgiven? So it's basically asking, do I have to go to confession? Here's what I would say. Jesus calls us all to repentance. 
When we sin, he, he calls us to turn back to him immediately. But what he did is he gave us a church. He didn't give us confession as a punishment. He gave it to us as medicine. So when you do something wrong, turn to Jesus and apologize. But then prep yourself to then come to confession, to receive some advice from the priest, a, a penance that will help you grow in virtue, and also something that's really important, to hear those words of absolution, to hear another human being say to you, your sins have been forgiven. Any other questions? Yes, sir. No, I don't, can't do it in a Canadian accent either. Uh, some tips on how, how you let go of that resentment. And that so the question was, any tips on letting go of resentment? And I point to the things that I mentioned in the talk. If, you, if you're resentful of somebody, don't just try and not be resentful. Try and be loving. You don't just want to clear stuff out. You want to put something else in. So if you're resentful for somebody, do something nice for them. Remember what I said to this lady here, it's not about your feelings. What God doesn't want, what God doesn't demand from us is warm feelings towards everybody. What he demands from us is love towards everybody. And that means seeking their good, seeking their blessing. And you can do that whether you want to or not. And over time, He's usually pretty good about giving you some feelings to help along the way. But what Jesus really wants is for you to seek somebody else's good, regardless. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Oh. Okay. Is it bad if we tell the same sins every time we confess? Uh, since you said the penance is uh, not a punishment, uh, I think it says. Uh, does the Catholic Church believe in the consequences of sins? Did I read that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let me elaborate. Okay. Please, please, please elaborate. <laughs> it's. <laughs> My question is. It's not, it's not like the priest yeah. said, ooh, that was bad, I'm yeah, going to yeah, punish no. you. <laughs> <laughs> For example, you said, there's some sins that, like, There's no sin that can't be forgiven. Exactly. Okay. But some sins do have consequences. So okay. that's what... Yeah, that's okay, so... Yeah, so if I go and kill somebody, yeah. I probably should go to jail. That is a natural consequence, just out of the virtue of justice. The important consequence, though, that, that we're really concerned about is what's the state of your soul? How do you confess that? Because that's much more important. I remember when I've, when I've done bad things before, my parents have effectively given me a penance. They've given me something to help remedy the bad thing that I did. But sometimes it does mean that there are consequences that I have to, that I have to live with. You know, if, if my report card was really bad, well, yeah, your, your, your allowance is gonna be docked. That's just going to happen. You're forgiven, but that's, there's a consequence to what, how that's going to work. But the important point here is that consequences will naturally happen out of sin. So, for example, let's say I gossip. What's the consequence of gossip? It spreads like wildfire. Yeah, well, I've heard someone say wildfire. Yeah, it, it causes a whole load of damage. That is a consequence of sin that's just going to naturally happen. And it's the same thing with a lot of sins. If you think through the Ten Commandments, 
All of those bad things, oh, sorry, all of those commandments, bad things happen when you don't follow them. If you covet other people's stuff, if you steal, if you commit adultery, bad things happen in, in, in this case. And what God calls us to is to repent. Sometimes we have to live with the consequences of our sin, but what he wants is to forgive us, because that is the more important thing. Because that's, that's in the light of eternity. Make sense? Okay. Anything else? Yes. I do watch a little bit of Doctor Who. I haven't seen much of this most recent season uh, with the female Doctor, but yes, Doctor Who is amazing, and the Weeping Angels are terrifying. Who's your favorite uh, I quite like Billy Piper. Because uh, I, when I grew up, she was a pop star, and it was really strange to then see her acting. Uh, oh, is that who? It's, uh, so Doctor Who, he always travels with a human companion, and Billy Piper was one of the companions. Anything else? Uh, British culture? Accent. Forgiveness? Accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yes. Oh, guys? England is not very good. Oh, okay, no, I'm gonna defend my country on this one. Americans have a habit of saying that English food is terrible. They're just eating the wrong stuff. It's like you don't go to Nebraska and eat sushi. You don't go to a landlocked part of the, the country and expect the best sushi that you've ever had. Likewise, don't go to England and expect to get the same kind of food that you get here in America. If you go to England and you order Mexican food on your own head beard, it's gonna be terrible because we don't do good Mexican food. If you go to England, there are a couple of things that you want. Fish and chips, we're amazing at it. I keep looking for good fish and chips here and I'm usually disappointed. Uh, secondly, curry. Curry is the most popular, ch chicken tikka masala is the most popular dish. It's so good. That is the most popular dish in England. And lastly, what I would call pub food. So it's, it's usually pies and uh, battered fish and all, all that kind of really good stodgy food. So English food is amazing. You just have to make sure you have the right stuff. Yes. Yes, but the question is, do all the snacks have chocolate? Yes, they do. And our chocolate is way better. Way better. Hershey's is not good. You can do better. Say again? I hype it up too much. You just need to read more of it. It's fine. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's we'll, we'll start wrapping it up soon. Yes. Do I like football? I'm going to be really disappointing here. No. I grew up, I loved football, and then when I was at school, when I was sort of 8, 9, 10, there was a real divide. Real football. Or as you say, soccer. So at my, at my, at my school, it, whether you like Liverpool or Tottenham Hotspurs, and they'd get together in the uh, at recess and beat each other up. So I decided at that point, I didn't really care about soccer anymore. As for American football, as for American football, it is very enjoyable, as long as either everything is edited out, the very first time I went and watched an American football game, 
uh, on TV. It was the Super Bowl. I thought I was going to be at the bar for maybe a couple of hours. It just kept going on, and they just kept stopping every five minutes. And I said, why are they stopping now? I said, oh, for commercials. That's just, that's just crazy. So American football is very enjoyable, but it needs to be shortened. You need to watch rugby instead. That would be my suggestion. Okay, wrapping it up. Anything else about confession? I don't know what to say. This is the best burger I've ever had. This is the best burger I have ever had. Okay, I think that will probably be... I don't think I'm ever going to do better than that, so I'm going to end it there. Uh, if you guys have any other questions, you can find me on my blog, restlesspilgrim.net. You can find my podcast, Pints with Jack. You can find me on YouTube. Um, and I'm going to be hanging around a little bit uh, before I leave. Okay? Okay. Thank you.